Poison Pals, welcome back to another episode of That Shit is Poison, hosted by myself, Harini Bot, and not co-hosted this week by Megan Gesner today. We actually have a very special guest on the pod. You have heard of him before from previous episodes and stories. It is Papa B or Papa Bot, or as I like to call my father. <laughs> so I'm gonna let him introduce himself. Well, my nickname is Papa P, but my real name is uh, Venkat Bat, and I'm so happy to participate in this uh, podcast. Thanks, Papa. Okay, so Papa, can you tell us about your background? Like, what do you do right now? What has been your journey up until this point? I have a PhD in organic chemistry and got the PhD in India. So you may want to ask why I chose organic chemistry. When I was uh, studying in uh, India in my high school, uh, I had a wonderful teacher, and uh, you know he really inspired me to move into chemistry because all the, you know, he brought in all these colored chemicals into the lab. It really made me really, you know, say oh, I, I want to do this every day for my life. And uh, organic chemistry is the most fascinating because you deal with a lot of chemicals and. Uh, uh, you get to make, and uh, actually I synthesized a lot of compounds during my PhD work and, uh, and uh, doing my postdoctoral work. So you did your master's and then you did your PhD in India, and then you did your doctoral work in England after that, is that correct? So after I got my PhD in organic chemistry in India uh, at the Institute of Technology, I went to England, Southampton, and I did my postdoctoral work there for uh, three years. And in 1982, I met my wife and married her. Uh, and then we moved to Geneva in 1983, Switzerland. And I spent about a year and a half uh, in Geneva. And in 1984, in 1984, we both moved to New York, did a couple of years of uh, postdoctoral work at uh, Hunter College which is actually a city university of New York. And in 1986, November, we, we moved to California. We have been here since then in a small company in your uh, Simi Valley by the you know, Reagan libraries. So I want to go back to your postdoctoral work. When you were living in Bronx, New York, and working at Hunter College, you did some work with the NIH, right? What was the work that you were doing with them? So when I was in uh, Hunter College, uh, my professor, uh, his name is uh, Dick Frank, actually we celebrated his 85th birthday, the day of my daughter's graduation last month. Really cutting it <laughs> close, guys. So, so I had to tell him, that, sorry, I had to excuse myself, I have, otherwise I'm going to be in a, my daughter's doghouse again. Yeah. Backstory on that is my parents did not come to my undergraduate graduation, so they had a lot of making up to do. <laughs> Nobody came. 
Yeah, she kept reminding me that every day. So I, I said, okay. I mean, it was a lot easier, you know, going from my office downstairs to uh, exactly. celebrate. So when I was in uh, Hunter College, uh, my professor had a grant from the American Cancer Society. So we were uh, working on synthesize some uh, anti-cancer compounds. And uh, this particular compound is called uh, olivine, you know. It's a natural product, and uh, any time, uh, you know, a lot of this, the NIH and uh, National Cancer Institute, you know, they try to uh, isolate a lot of compound from uh, different sources of plant and uh, marine organisms and all kind of, uh, mm-hmm. and then test it against different types of uh, cancers. Yeah. And uh, if they find some uh, good hits, they ask, you know, scientists to say, can you make more of it? I mean, that's how a lot of these, uh, you know, anti-cancer drugs were developed. Mm-hmm. So I was working on a project to synthesize, uh, you know, one of these uh, cancer drugs. I always like love making things in the lab because, mm-hmm. you know, it's something you you build from, uh, you know, starting material to the final product and something which um, uh, it's always uh, pretty rewarding. It's like when you cook a recipe, you know, it, it finds out things comes out pretty good, you feel, you know, yeah. pretty happy. So Absolutely. so chemistry is the same thing. So yeah. so when we moved to this company in Simi Valley called Pharmaco Laboratories, that was like 86, you know, the AIDS was quite uh, prevalent at that time. And, you know, you know, everybody was getting uh, worried about it, mm-hmm. because there was no drug, no cure. And so the National Cancer Institute and NIH were uh, really testing every compound in their library against uh, the AIDS HIV, and they they got some hits. So the company I worked for, we had a contract with the NIH and uh, also the U.S. Army, and uh, so our job was to make a lot of this hit compound in large scale. So. We made it. They called the GMP, which is a good manufacturing. They can use yeah. it in clinical trials and human. We made like a kilogram quantities of these materials. And so it was a slightly different experience for me because when I was working in the universities, we make for like a small quantities, yeah. a milligram. So when you make something large scale, you know, you really have to think about all the different aspects of chemistry. And, you know, I had my share of... Uh, uh, wasting a lot of large raw materials, <laughs> you know, because you really don't understand, oh, you know, the whole thermodynamics chemistry yeah. changes uh, when you scale it up from one milligram to one kilo. But we had a lot of success and it was pretty interesting. One of the things came out was AZT. For our listeners who don't know what AZT is, can you explain what the significance of that is? So AZT is uh, azidothymidine and uh, this compound was you know, known back in 1967, you know, oh, I didn't know that. it was available in 1967. So, but they didn't find any use. It was yeah. not a cancer drug. So this is what happens. You know, there are a lot of compounds mm-hmm. uh, waiting for a disease to be right. <laughs> discovered. So it's a backward process because uh, 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 this is how the, you know, uh, disease drug development works. Anytime they find uh, something, uh, you know, a new virus or uh, any enzyme which causes uh, some of the disease, uh, they try to screen in the lab. You know, they can screen millions of compounds per day and they get hits. So AZT was one of the hits. And so then they decided uh, to go fast track. You know, this is like what they're doing for COVID. So normally, you know, approving a drug by FDA takes years because people were dying. 
they didn't have much choice to wait for all the toxicology studies so they basically did okay this is seems to be working well give it to people who are really dying of aids i mean those days uh, people you know pretty much died if yeah. you if you get aids Definitely. so i mean people don't really die of aids because uh, it just uh, their uh, uh, their body immune system just mm-hmm. compromised so that means right. they die of uh, pneumonia any other cancer mm-hmm. so that pretty much there so uh, azt was approved uh, but it was actually worked with a company called uh, boros welcome i think it's part of uh, gsk now and they got the you know approval to market the product and that was the very first drug but all the work was done by nih but uh, they did all the manufacturing and yeah. you know so they got so that was the very first drug and then you know now there are hundreds of uh, Uh, antiviral compound for aids and you know so that's why you know the, it's amazing like uh, what happened like 30 years ago now you know pe- people don't really talk about aids anymore they, you know people don't die because there are so many drugs cocktails of drugs but the azt was the very first compound to be uh, approved very cool so for people who don't really know what organic chemistry means what do you do in organic chemistry and from your days in the lab what was the most memorable moment when you were doing your phd work and what did you do your phd on you didn't say what you did your postdoctoral work on you know when you do a phd you really don't have much choice what to work on because you're pretty new so your supervisor gives you projects my supervisor he was interested in uh, if you shine light on a, in a chemical what happens to that you know like a photochemical reaction actually the work i did in southampton was a lot more interesting my supervisor there very established professor called richard cookson he was actually had a project with all these companies developing perfumes so it's interesting the perfumes perfumes have a lot of different chemicals i know it has a lot of alcohol well alcohol is just a base okay. because you know you don't put concentrated perfume because then yeah, you know yeah, yeah. so a lot of the perfumes are macrocyclic lactones so that means 12 member cycle and many of them actually coming from nature so there's a cat called civet cat those civet cat emits a perfume called the civeton that was really interesting so what we do is we make synthesize and then what we do we dissolve that in some petroleum ether and then take a, one of those filter paper then smell it So that was really interesting because when I uh, made one of those it's really pretty good. I mean, you know, one of the things that we do like in uh, in the lab when you make something you're not allowed to smell things because I mean some of them are pretty nasty smell but in here we had the advantage of hey try to smell the thing. So so that was pretty interesting because a lot of those perfumes are made synthetically. I mean, you know, they use the natural product but The problem is like some of these perfumes are made from like sandalwood you know mm-hmm. there are not enough trees to grow so they just try to make it in the lab so and, and it's a lot, lot of them can be made pretty easily so the perfumes you buy is a mixture of several of these chemically synthesized molecules along with the, some of the natural fragments so that was a lot more interesting to oh, me interesting. than my phd work <laughs> uh, to tell you the truth <laughs> on long that perfume segment I heard that musk that is not come from the musk ox so the compound called muscone and uh, so again you know when you say own that is always a ketone in you know, a yeah. carbon and oxygen so it's coming from the musk deer 
think they use it for attracting the you know yeah, mate it, yeah. uh, that is a, again a, a multi carbon member ketone mm-hmm. yeah, there's a thing the civet cat has civetone and uh, musk deer uh, muscone this is why i think i'll be talking about all the names of the different chemicals there are millions of compounds how do you name them that one of the fascinating things i always enjoyed you know in my life i say organic chemist because you get to come across all kind of names and some of them are really weird yeah uh, you'll hear about it soon okay okay <laughs> so i think on that note we'll jump into the story so papa is your turn this week to pick your poison so what's it going to be this week as i mentioned a lot of the chemical names are really strange and you know weird but one of the chemicals which you know my company actually sells is called bong cricic acid <laughs> the way you say the bong cricic acid you know this cool chemical but yeah. so it is a poison but before i talk about bong cricic acid i think i should spend some time talking about all the weird names or funny names okay. i came across and these are actually real names so don't laugh some of them are maybe a little bit uh, you know vulgar but i'll keep it actually I sanitize a lot of the other names because there are even some of the worst ones. But these are actual names. So l- let me start with the you know, alphabetical man. The first one is called uh, Arsol, uh, <laughs> called A-R-S-O-L-E. So this particular compound is a five-membered ring, but it has arsenic in the molecule. That's why somebody, funny guy, decided to call it uh, Arsol. <laughs> so, and then the next one is Cadaverine. so cadaver foul smelling diamine produced by putrefaction of the dead animal tissues there is also draculin it's an anticoagulant found in the saliva of vampire bats wow let's go back to our poison of the day mm. bong cricic acid so bong cricic acid is actually a deadly poison that is found in fermented food including wet noodles and press cake from china indonesia and mozambique so the press cake is like when you extract oil from like coconut peanut sesame so you get that cake which is solid one yeah so a lot of people you know eat them actually in india we used to give it to them cows oh so because like yeah so desiccate so it has no oil yeah so some people apparently keep it for a long time and then eat it and and this is where this bongrikic acid actually grows This is a toxin that is produced by a bacterium called Buckholderia gladioli. This particular bacteria generates this particular acid. So these bacteria flourish in the presence of warm temperatures and fungal organisms and the conditions actually that are commonly encountered in the process of food fermentation. The acid is not destroyed by cooking. That means so uh, you can heat the whole thing, you know, it will still won't. It is odorless and tasteless, making it very difficult to detect in contaminant food. You can't just smell it yeah. and say, "Hey, this is gone." Because there are sometimes when something just goes bad, we can know, you know, from a yeah. distance. This one doesn't. Most cases of the bongrikic acid poisoning have occurred after the consumption of the locally produced fermented foods in China, Indonesia, and Mozambique. So this particular bongrikic acid poisoning has been reported after consumption of fermented noodles, corn flour and beer in this region. The tempeh is a, a traditional fermented press cake produced in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. This is from actually coconut. So this has actually been responsible for thousands of cases of bongrikic acid food poisoning, many of which were fatal. So the, this particular tempeh bongrikic is now banned there. 
in much of indonesia although you know many people still sell it you know you don't hear many cases of this in in the us because you know people don't eat all this press cake it's a little bit of a chemistry why is it toxic so bongak acid actually affects the mitochondria so mitochondria are the small bodies within the cells mm-hmm. that generate energy we need yeah. mitochondria because we need energy you know using atp So basically this bongak acid interferes with the cellular energy production which results in cell damage and death. Yeah. What are the symptoms? Initial symptoms actually of the poisoning of the bongakic acid is sweating, vomiting, fatigue, stomach ache. So both high blood sugar, basically hyperglycemia and low blood sugar, hypoglycemia. So severe cases have resulted in liver failure, kidney injury, mortality rates are actually from 40 to 100%. Death from this multiple organ failure can occur within a day after the initial signs of the symptoms. So so the problem is there is no safe dose. Doses as low as 1 mg have been fatal to humans. So because the bongakic acid is a foodborne toxin, it really hard to estimate how much of the poison is present in a contaminated yeah. product so there is no antidote so you eat it good luck because pretty much irreversible the treatment may involve supportive care in a hospital and many cases for treatment in an intensive care unit so the best way to prevent this poisoning is to avoid eating these fermented foods a lot of the fermented foods have pretty much telltale characteristics of spoilage such as bad taste foul odor and discoloration in this case bongakic acid poisoning you don't have any of those things so yeah. basically that's why it's pretty hard to detect i have a question so does this bongakic acid is it in any fermented food products or is it only from the coconut derived fermented products most of these cases in you know, fermented noodles like uh, people i didn't even know that they keep this noodle for a year oh. <laughs> and then eat it it's not in um, every fermented for like uh, i think in kimchi for example you know but it's mostly affecting the you know coconut corn flour that's why it's pretty localized to so far three countries uh, i'll give an example in 2018 a family of seven in china became ill after eating wet rice noodles that were later found to be contaminated with the bongakic acid so the noodles which have been treated with the preservative did not display any signs of spoilage because it has already some preservative so you probably yeah. smell the preservative so two family members and and the family dog unfortunately oh, no. which has fed some of the leftovers died i know even dogs are not spared you know bongakic acid as i mentioned earlier not very common in the us and you are most likely to be exposed to the dangerous toxin when traveling abroad so mm. anytime you go abroad avoid fermented foods including press cake wet rice noodles and locally brewed alcohol you know oh god stay away from the locally brewed alcohol because those are all exposed to the poison i know you said locally brewed alcohol but is it any alcohol because i know you mentioned beer before and is that because of the wheat or the barley because i know you mentioned one of those contain bongakic acid right yeah so i mean a lot of this alcoholic beverages coming from some of these grains like rice and you know barley so it is quite possible sometimes they fermented and they didn't detect any of this bongakic acid because see one of the issues is like there is no test like they do in the lab quality control test to test bongakic acid 
think you guys must have talked about in one of your episodes about tetrodotoxin. It's a puffer fish. So this is mostly in Japan. What they do there is they test the water where these fish are for their tetrodotoxin. So you can test it. But there is no such test for the fermented foods. The grocery stores, wherever you buy, they just... Somebody gets it and give it. And then same thing, a lot of these are also, I mentioned, done many countries illegally. Is the process of creating boncric acid more with the prolonged amount of time of fermenting? If you just ferment it for like a couple months, maybe even just a year, is that not enough time to create this boncric acid or does it have to be longer than that? I believe it needs a longer time, but when you say some of these uh, rice, wine, kind of, those are done by professional companies, you know, established companies, and they have a quality control process. So a lot of these things happening is uh, illegally that people make. It's like you hear about methanol poisoning by people making alcohol illegally. Yeah. They don't have a in-process testing for uh, methanol because when you make all these alcohols, also produce methanol, which makes you blind or die. And this is the same thing. But you don't worry about buying uh, any alcohol from uh, regular stores because those are made by established companies and uh, they have a in-process way of testing for the, some of these contaminants. But just to play devil's advocate, didn't you just tell us there is no test for boncricic acid? So even if there is quality control... Even these established companies can't test for it, right? So how do we know that it's safe? They can always test for this bacteria. You can't grow this bongric acid. There is no bacteria, the gladiola thing. Uh, So you can always uh, detect that. If you have a rice used in making some of the wine, you can test raw material, whether it is contaminated. So if there is no contamination, it should be safe. I mean, you know, people eat rice everywhere, so then people aren't dying, you know, so... (laughs) Hope not. (laughs) Yes, this is a pretty deadly poison and, you know, not many people know about it because this is mostly happening in uh, three major countries, like uh, not in the U.S., but the reason I learned a lot about it is because when I was in my other company in San Diego, we added as a research product for people because people want to try it out in the lab because it's just a a research uh, chemical. You can do a lot of things, uh, testing in the lab, and it's very hard to get it. You know, yeah, because there was one professor in Germany, he was actually making it using coconut fermentation. He was the one providing it to the whole world because we were isolating the actual bongric acid, pure material, and he was the only one supplying it to everyone. And then what happened when I came to my new company, I tried to contact him and, uh, you know, he was already old. I, I think he died. I, so I didn't even... Boncricic acid? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he, he died of old age, I, I, I hope. So we don't even have any material because it's, it's pretty hard to synthesize in the lab. Yeah. What bacteria does, chemistry takes longer because you need that particular bacteria. Yeah. I mean, I think if we get the bacteria, that's a very deadly bacteria. So actually, I even tried to see whether we can get it from Germany to the U.S. And, uh, you know, we can get coconut and try to make it ourselves. Yeah. But that will be very difficult to import. Exactly. I don't think our, our <laughs> customs won't let you get it there. But even if you're just handling it, like touching it or inhaling it, there's no other way for you to get poisoned by it. It's just by ingestion only, right? Thank God, yes. So only by ingestion. So you had to consume it. 
So even if you get your skin or something, I don't think it's going to, you know, it's not that absorbed through the skin, but only ingestion, like the tetra toxin, you know. Okay. Yeah, so stay away from bongric acid. You know, a nice name, but deadly poison. Don't eat any of the fermented uh, noodles. If you ever travel to China, Indonesia, or Mozambique, mm-hmm. just be careful what you eat. <laughs> Words for the wise. <laughs> the name actually, Bongkrik, came because of that Bongkrik tempeh. Tempeh? Tempeh, yeah. Okay. That's the name, the Bongkrik tempeh. Mm-hmm. That's where, you know, one of the origins of the Bongkrik acid. Because tempeh it has become very popular now with more people turning to vegetarianism and veganism, right? So I'm assuming that the companies in the U.S. and otherwise that manufacture tempeh here, they will test for this toxin? The only thing that they can do is test for that bacteria. Wow, Papa, that was a really interesting story and an education for me. And I'm 100% sure an education for our listeners. I don't think... We would have ever covered this toxin. So thanks for bringing it to our attention. This was a really good one. So as to wrap up our episode, we like to do something called our antidote of the week, where we just talk about something that was nice that happened to us or something that made us smile. So Papa, you're going to start us off. So what was your antidote this week? So a couple of days ago, actually, I went to the barber shop and I had to wait for about five minutes. That's a long time for my dad, who's very impatient. Yeah, she knows. I, I don't normally wait. For, but, you know, okay, five minutes is okay. So, and while waiting, I just scanned through the news. Mm-hmm. And I, I found a very uplifting story about a 16-year-old kid. So his name is uh, Shane Jones. Uh, he's from Rhode Island. So, you know, during the pandemic, a lot of people try to make money you know, yeah, different yeah. ways. Yeah. Everybody knows that people store their property in the storage, you know, a lot of the storage places. But many people, either you die or, you know, some people have a hard time paying the rent. Mm -hmm. So if you don't pay the rent for a certain number of months, I think, you know, you lose the rights to those properties. So you might have seen some episode on the TV, like they auction off the whole thing. So you bid. Storage wars. So basically, you have no idea what is in it. You say, I'm going to bid $100, I'm going to bid uh, you know, $1,000. So then you may hit a jackpot, yeah. you may get some junk. Yeah. So this kid, he, he was working in a library and he made some money. So he bid uh, one of these uh, storage places oh, wow. for $100 yeah. and he won it. And, he, you know, okay, he goes with the parents, opens the thing and looks at all the stuff, you know, he found that, you know, these are some of the really personal belongings, you know, which is not yeah. something he wanted to sell. Yeah, yeah. So he talked to his parents, and they actually took the trouble to find the owner. Wow. So apparently the person actually who rented the place, he was in prison. Oh. So they went to his mom and said, oh, you know, we have this, we want to give it to you. And they did that. And then, you know, he said, yeah, he, he did another one, uh, I bid $50. So he got it again, and he did the same thing. He, wow. Like uh, three families, he returned awesome. them. Uh, you know, I mean, this is a 60-year-old kid. This is not some story you hear every day. I mean, you know, yeah. like, as, you know, you always hear how people are so greedy, and, you know, let's, you know, and, and you know, he doesn't have much money, you know, how much money you earn. Exactly. And he worked in the summertime to get some money, and, you know, mm-hmm. but instead of buying uh, Nintendo or uh, any other thing, he oh, said... <laughs> whatever. <laughs> PlayStation, Xbox. So he decided to do something good. 
and you know that was really amazing story yeah. i mean i i said you know that there are still good people that that's absolutely amazing and his name is shane john from uh, okay. rhode island so that's awesome mm-hmm. that's really awesome so i can't top anything on that that was a, that's an amazing story wow and here i thought your antidote was going to be to be on your daughter's podcast <laughs> i'm kidding no that was a, that's an awesome story somebody who is just 16 and he did it once and he say he felt so good yeah i want to do it again he did it for three families so hats up to him that's really cool okay my antidote is <laughs> my antidote is that we finally got to go on vacation to hawaii after a long time Obviously with COVID it's been a long time that we haven't been able to travel anywhere so it was just nice to get away even just for a couple days just to you know we're doing a lot of stuff there's a lot of stuff been going on family wise and like just career wise and things like that so it was just nice to get away from it all and just really be present so that's going to be my antidote of the week and also coming home and getting to do this podcast with my dad is always awesome <laughs> as an afterthought antidote <laughs> i have to say that because he's sitting right next to me <laughs> glaring and no, i'm kidding he's not okay that's the end of our episode so poison pals before we go thanks again for listening to another episode if you like this episode please rate and review it always helps us a lot to reach more people to listen to our podcast episodes and to continue doing these podcast episodes. If you want to hear more about these episodes, you can follow us on Instagram at that shit is poison as well as that shit's poison on Twitter and then TikTok if you want to venture out on that platform. But before we go, Papa, please take us out of this episode. Don't risk it for a bonga cricket biscuit. All right. Thanks Papa B. It was awesome having you on the pod. We'll catch you guys next week. Goodbye. Bye.